seated. Again, I wanna welcome you here. And um, for those of you that have been through uh, Northwest 101 uh, with me, where we kind of talk about our core values and our core beliefs, uh, our core doctrines and things like that. Uh, this isn't of any real surprise to you, but we have a document that kind of outlines our core beliefs as a church. Um, part of the, the bylaw thing that, that we're doing is we're hoping to adapt that document as an addendum uh, to our bylaws for what I think might be the first time in this church's history we would have as a part of our bylaws this is our kind of core beliefs as a church. And I'm gonna share with you every one of those statements uh, in the sermon today. It's gonna be magical. All right, so <laughs> you're like, I got up early for this. You did. All right, so, um, and now I can see you leaving if you leave. All right, so, um, so now, now we, we've made it awkward. All right, so, um, and we're gonna walk through that document in, in just a minute. But the, the bylaw change when it comes to membership that we're talking about making. And if you weren't here last Sunday, I would encourage you uh, to go back and listen to last Sunday's message in its entirety, uh, is that as that, uh, believing, as that beliefs document is shared with people, if they're like, yeah, that's who I am, that's what I believe, I'm, I'm on board, we're, we're good, they would be a believing member, uh, which would make them eligible um, to serve in any capacity, including lead teaching and leadership. Um, if there were to be a nuanced difference with that statement, like that's just not in my journey, that's just not where I am right now, they would become a belonging member um, that would make them eligible to serve in any capacity, but they wouldn't be able to serve as a lead teacher uh, or, uh, or a leader. Uh, those are the areas that we in particular wanna protect in terms of our belief. And so we had a town hall this last Wednesday and uh, we had a great discussion, uh, a great conversation, lots of questions. But one of the questions that kind of came out of that town hall that I thought was especially good and especially profound was, okay, as the bylaw is presented, that, that you presented on Sunday then, could a, a total unbeliever, somebody that doesn't have faith at all, become a belonging member? And I thought, I, I thought it was such a great question that I wanted to take a minute uh, to just address it up here because the answer to that is um, yes, but actually no, all right? So the yes, because that is how the bylaw appears to read, but the way, reason we allowed it to read that way is that I know how our team would react if something like that happened. So, and let, I wanted to explain that to you. If, if I were presenting someone with our core beliefs as a church, and it became clear to me that they really did not have any belief or faith at all, what would happen is we would pump the brakes and we would say, we don't think the conversation we need to be having with you right now is about church membership. We think the conversation we need to be having with you right now is about Jesus and about faith and about belief. And so we would, we would kind of pump the brakes a little bit and we would leave the conversation about church membership and we would begin to have a conversation about faith in Christ and what that looks like. The other reason it kind of reads that way where I wasn't too concerned about it was that in 25 years of located church ministry, I've actually never had it happen. And so it wasn't even on my mind as a possibility. I've never had someone who has no faith or no belief at all say, I'd like to be a member of your church. Um, it, it's, it's never happened. But I will tell you, the conversation, and that, so that I wanted you to know that's kind of what was in my mind uh, as the bylaw was being developed. But it did kind of spark in me 
and uh, some of our other people that were in that meeting that I think we need to tweak that bylaw change a little bit, the verbiage of it. Um, we, we need to tweak that bylaw to, and, and some of the verbiage um, to in, ensure uh, that those sorts of concerns don't come to fruition and that everyone that's a part of Northwest, believers, belongers, attenders, that everybody, we want some verbiage in there about growing in your faith. Because we do expect everyone to, to, to be growing. And so if you ended up kind of in a, uh, you know, where, where you're like, I'm just not there yet. I, I'm, a, I'm a belonger. I, I just, I'm not in with the belief statement yet. We, we do want to see you grow and, and we want to encourage you to grow. And if you say, hey, I'm right in. I believe the believing statement with all of my heart. I'm right on the same page with you. I hope you know that means that you don't stop growing too. Right, that you, you don't grow either, that, that, that we want you to grow as well. We want our whole family journeying together to be more like Jesus. And uh, I've been following Jesus for a long time, and I'm still not exactly like Jesus in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> He's had his way with me in some areas, and I'm a lot further ahead than I, than I used to be, but as someone who came to Christ in high school, it's like, yeah, I still need to grow. I, I agree with our believing statement that I'm gonna present to you, but I still need to grow. Uh, I still need to look more and more like Jesus. My kids and my wife would tell you this is true. All right, so, um, so it's about all of us growing and developing and, and learning together, all right? So I do want you to know, we're gonna tweak this bylaw a little bit. We're still preaching. We're still gonna have the town hall in the overflow. We're gonna tweak the verbiage of that. And I would guess somewhere in the next month, you'll get that. You'll get that tweaked bylaw. And uh, then we're not gonna do this again. Um, because the vision for what we're trying to do, we're trying to create in us a church of belonging and journeying together and messiness. I talked about this last Sunday, to not make things cut and dry and easy, but to embrace the mess a little bit and say, hey, we are a growing family and we are journeying together to be more like Jesus. And some of us, some of you are gonna be right where this belief statement is and you're gonna, you're gonna celebrate this belief statement and some of you are gonna be like, it's just not where I am right now. And we want you to have a place of belonging. We want you to have a place where you can spiritually grow. We want you to be with us. And so that's the heart behind what we're trying to do. Uh, we haven't done it perfectly, but that's the heart behind it. And help us journey. Stay for the, stay, stay for the meeting after and help us refine some of the language a little bit. And uh, like I said last Sunday, if you listen to the message, this is an us decision. This is not a leadership team imposing their will on anything. This is an us decision. Um, this has to do with who we're going to be as a church and how we're going to move forward and what it's gonna look like because some of embracing the messiness of people is that we all have to agree to do that, right? It can't just be, yeah, Steve, we'll let you embrace the mess of people. No, 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 right? I don't mind doing that, I love my job. But part of embracing the mess is saying, man, I am willing to dive in with Northwest and embrace the mess and lean in, like we said last week, lean in and love hard and have conversations and really truly be a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. I got a whole sermon to preach now. All right, let's pray. All right, Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I come before you uh, with 100% total humility um, as we've gone through this process, uh, I pray that you would give us a wisdom. We've talked about this so much and what it means to belong and what it means to believe and what it means to be a growing journey, a family journeying together, what that journey looks like. And um, I just wanna pray that we would be that church, even if this isn't what it ends up looking like, that we would be that church where yeah, you can be here. We want you here. 
We want you to belong here. We want you to grow with us. I want to look more like Jesus. I hope you want to look more like Jesus. Let's do it together. That's my heartbeat for our church. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So let's start with this truth, okay? Every action that you have taken in your life, every single action that you have taken started with a belief. If you have teenagers right now, they are probably thinking through different colleges and different universities where they could learn the trade that they wanna learn. And there will come a time where they will believe that this college or this university is the best place where I can be educated. And that belief, that singular belief, will result in thousands and thousands of dollars exiting you, all right? And your bank account, all right? But that, that, that desire to go to college and that picking the place to go to college, it all started with a belief. If you are married, you may remember a time where you were dating or you were out on a date and you had this thought, there is something special going on here. For, for Cheryl and I, for me, it started at a Michigan State game. And uh, Cheryl was a student there, and I, she invited me to go to this game with her, and her cheeks were painted green with a Spartan S, and she had tickets in the student section, and she was yelling and cheering like a maniac. And, and, I, and I had this, uh, there is something special going on here, right? <laughs> I knew that there was something special going on there, and that thought became a belief, and that belief led to a proposal and wedding plans and a whole life together. If you think about your career or your job, there probably came a time where you had a thought or a belief. I can do this. This is how I can earn a living. This is how I can provide for my family. This is, I feel motivated to pursue this. And so you saw education and training and that one decision, that one belief about yourself changing your entire life. Our actions as a church, every single one of them, our actions as a church are motivated by our beliefs. So if at any point in this bylaw conversation, you somehow hear beliefs are important, nothing could be further from the truth. Beliefs are critically important. They're really important to, to our decision-making as a church. So what I wanna do today, it's gonna feel a little more like a class than a sermon, but I wanna walk you through our belief statement as a church that when we talk about what we want a leader to believe or a teacher or what we hope that every attender and belonger and, belonger and participant will believe, this is the document I'm alluding to. Whenever I say that, this is what a, a leader believes. This is what a teacher believes. This is what, a what we want our participants to believe. This is what we're growing toward. This is the document I'm referring to. Now let me let's walk you through a little bit more on how a document like this in a church like ours comes to be. Um, I wanna walk you through church background, church history, hip hip hooray, all right? Um, so I told you a week ago that we are not a denomination, all right? If, uh, you don't know that this may be your first Sunday hearing that. We're not a denomination. We are an independent Christian church, and we came out of a movement in the 1800s called the Restoration Movement. And the Restoration Movement was a movement that said, our denominational ties are dividing us. And they asked an important question. They said, what if we all just kind of dropped our denominational ties and we came together and we worship Jesus together? It's beautiful, right? 
I had believed in this idea my whole life, is what if we just dropped whatever kind of denomination we were raised in, whatever way we, we kind of grew up in, whatever, what if we just kind of dropped that and said, I want to gather with a group of people and I want to worship Jesus fully. And as this restoration movement began to take hold, these slogans emerged. Listen to some of these slogans. They said in the 1800s, we're not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Isn't that fantastic? That we, we don't have the market on Christianity. We are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. And we're gathering together to worship Jesus. When the Bible speaks, we speak. When the Bible is silent, we are silent. Oh, beautiful. And then the most famous one from our movement that you've heard other now denominations actually grab hold of this statement, but actually started with our movement, right? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. It's beautiful. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. And so these slogans became the heartbeat of this movement, and then out of the movement, churches started to pop up. Say, hey, we are a belonging church, we're gonna drop our denominational ties, Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, let's all come together, drop our denominational ties, and worship Jesus together. So you can probably understand when that is your spiritual heritage, and if you consider us your church home, this may be the first time you've ever learned this, this is your spiritual heritage, that we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only, that you would not want a core belief document that's 15 pages long. You would want a core belief document that is about one page long. Why? Well, two reasons. One is that in our movement of church, the longer the belief document, the greater the chance for division. And our movement was passionate. Before unity was trendy, we were on the unity bandwagon. Now, in our movement, we're willing to argue and we're willing to go to the mat, but we want it to be over the big rocks, the most important things. You know the principle of the big rocks? That before, when you're filling up a canister, you put the big rocks in first, and then you can fill up with all kinds of little rocks that you want, but the big rocks are the most important things. So right now, one of the most famous denominations in the country is arguing and dividing, <laughs> dividing over women's role in the church. And it started with a denominational headquarter telling local churches what their beliefs and what their policies should be on this issue. And it has gone sideways. And the reason it has gone sideways is you have multiple leaders in that movement that have kind of intimated that if you're not on the same page with them about women leaders in the church, then you're not a true believer. Now, you're not going to see a statement about that in our core beliefs. Why? It's not a big rock to us. It doesn't matter most. We, we, we don't demand everyone agree. We, we believe that well-meaning and committed Christians can study that issue of leadership in the church and gender and all that and come to different conclusions when it comes to leadership. So there's grace. And we say, all right, we worship together. We love one another, even in matters of differences on disputable matters. But guess what? We believe that you even lean in and love one another on matters of indisputable matters or essentials. We just believe we are the love people we are called to love. The other reason we wanted it to be a, a shorter document is sometimes when you have a longer document, what begins to take hold is a narrative or a belief that we exist to control people's beliefs. And I've been doing this for 25 years. 
And I learned many, many moons ago that you can't do that. Right, so, so many, so many times you'll see a denomination will have a very, very long belief statement that they want people to believe that. To be Catholic is to believe these things. To be Lutheran is to believe these things. To be from a charismatic movement is to believe these things. To be reformed is to believe these things. And sometimes those lists can be pages and pages and pages long. Our belief is that we are here to teach you the Bible and we're here to build a community of people that loves one another and holds one another accountable. We have eldership or leadership at the local level, I'll talk about that next Sunday, who desires to love our congregation and hold us accountable, but we understand we're not the controlling force of your life or your Holy Spirit. And we understand that when it comes to a lot of beliefs within the Bible, there is a measure of freedom and, and a matter of a, 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 a degree of understanding when it comes to those beliefs. So understanding that we have so many backgrounds in our church, and I thought about doing a little bit of hand raising about how people were raised, but I'm not gonna do that. Just trust me, as I talk to people that come in, we have a lot of backgrounds in our church. We wanted our core beliefs to be short and succinct and the big rocks, the big rocks, the really important beliefs. So you say, what are those? Let's walk through them. This is where it gets fun, all right? The Bible, <laughs> right, the Bible that we believe the scriptures and all 66 books of the Old and New Testaments are verbally inspired by God, error-free in their original manuscripts, and the supreme authority of faith and practice for followers of Christ. Now, when we say verbally inspired, that is actually kind of a theological term, and it does not mean that God sat the Apostle Paul down and said, all right, are you ready? You got your pen out? Here's what I want you to say, right? and that God was verbally inspiring it to the Apostle Paul or in the Old Testament to Moses. That's not what we mean. What we mean is that God was involved inspiring the words and the concepts that the Old and New Testament writers wrote. All right, so it's not that, so don't have an image in your head, all right, all right Moses, ready? Here it goes, all right? That, that's not the way we believe it happened. We believe that there was, through the Holy Spirit and through other ways that God was involved in the writing of the scriptures and he inspired them in that way. Here's how 2 Timothy writes it, but uh, it, here's how it's written in 2 Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures what are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This goes to a core commitment that I made to our church going on 17 years ago, more than 17 years ago, that every single Sunday you will come in here and you will hear a message from God's word. Every single Sunday. You don't ever come in here, not in 17 years, you've never come in here and say, we've decided to take a little break from preaching today. We're, we're not doing that, right? That every Sunday you come in here and hear a message from God's word. And the reason it's so important is that we don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads us. And so the Bible reads us, and here's what I mean by that. What, what uh, First Timothy or Second Timothy teaches is that it rebukes us, and it corrects us, and it changes us, and it trains us. And so we want to be a church that on Sunday morning is immersed in God's word so that when you're sitting here and I'm reading the text, you're like, oh, that doesn't describe me. That's pointing out a sin in my life. That, that's showing an area where I need to improve. That we're not just reading it, it is reading 
us. So we want to be a church that's immersed in it, but we also want to be a church that encourages every active participant, uh, belonger, member, attender to be immersed in God's word every single day. Several years ago now, Willow Creek Church up in California did a study of their church. And they did a study of people that affirmed that they were actively growing in their faith and that they were so much further ahead than they were five, 10 years ago, that they were actively on the journey and actively growing in their faith. And they found that all of those people that were growing in their faith had one attribute in common. And it wasn't a brilliant class that they taught or a sermon series they sat through or a curriculum that they, they studied. It wasn't any of that. It was the, the, the uh, statement that every single day they engaged in daily reading of God's word. And that one attribute was the thing they all had in common. And it's a beautiful thing. You want to grow in your faith. You want to journey together to be more like Jesus. It starts with coming in here and hearing messages from God's word, but it also comes every single day just cracking your Bible open and say, I'm going to read this, but more even important than that, I hope it reads me. And I hope it challenges me. And I hope it rebukes me. We don't live in a culture that likes to be rebuked, but the Bible rebukes. I hope it rebukes me. I hope it points out my flaws. I hope it points out my sin. I hope it encourages me and motivates me and inspires me to live a different life. God, we believe there is one living and true God who is one in essence while eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father created and sustains the universe. The Son sets an example and forgives sin. And the Holy Spirit empowers and equips every believer. Here's how uh, Moses wrote it in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments are the ones that I give you today and are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them while you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6. He is one. God is one. Yet three distinct parts. And this is what we're trying to go, grow in. We are trying to grow as a church in our love of God to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love God, our creator, so that every life matters because he created me, but he also created you and he created people that don't even attend here yet. So we love God, our creator. We love Jesus, our savior, who died for me and died for you and died for people that are not even attending yet. We love the Holy Spirit, our sustainer and helper and friend. And I was taught in Bible college that every church has a leaning in their teaching and their methodology toward one member of the Godhead, all right? Now you look at kind of charismatic churches, they'll have a kind of leaning to the Holy Spirit. You look at some denominations, they'll have a leaning toward God, uh, the Father. Um, I think in our leaning as a church, in large part because of me, we have a leaning toward Jesus Christ. But I think you want to try to have a balanced approach to the best that you can. So that our church loves God in completion. We love our creator. We love our savior. We love our sustainer. And we're teaching people about each element of who God is so they can be encouraged and inspired to follow him more fully. Mankind. We believe that mankind was directly created in the image of God to enjoy his fellowship and fulfill his purposes on earth. However, in, man, in Adam, all mankind is born with a sin nature. No one has to be taught to sin. 
And if you have children, you understand this is true, that, that as your children have grown, you do not have to sit them down and say, all right, Johnny, today's sin 101, I'm gonna teach you how to do it. No, those, those guys figured it out on their own, right? Uh, there's an age where we become aware of our sin and aware of our separation from God. Here's how Paul writes it. What shall we con- say, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are all alike under the power of sin, right? One thing we all have in common is our sin, as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. (laughs) Encourage me more, right? They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. I recently heard a pastor say, and I thought this was so powerful, that our culture says that as human beings, we are good and becoming better, that we're becoming more tolerant, more educated, more enlightened. The truth of the gospel is that we are sinful, and we are bad, and it's only getting worse. This is the hard part of the gospel, but it is a crucial point. There is no one righteous, no, not one. If you want to be told how great you are and how righteous you are and how holy you are, our culture will gladly do it. But the point of the scriptures, the point of the gospel, is that you and I were born with a sinful nature, but God, but God. We serve a God who did not see us in our sin and leave us in our sin. No, he sent his son Jesus to forgive us and he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us so that we could overcome our sin. So the bad news is that you and I are more sinful than we realized we were. The good news is that God is more gracious and kind than we realized he ever was. This is a core difference between culture and the church. Culture would teach two extremes, that either sin should be embraced and accepted or canceled and done away with. That those are the two extremes. You're canceled or you're accepted. Faith says that we are all sinners. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And sin should be repented of and confessed, not celebrated, forgiven and overcome. And this leads us to the salvation story. I wanna, the last three beliefs, I kinda coupled them all together. And so let me, if you'll just bear with me for a minute, I wanna read through these three beliefs. Salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, amen? And is the only sufficient sacrifice. Salvation is by the grace of God through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to be saved, we must personally accept these truths, repent of our sins, 
and thereby accept the cleansing blood of Christ, which alone can atone for sins. Here's how John wrote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world. You think he sent his son to condemn you? No, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have already not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly and what they have done may be seen uh, and what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Baptism is the clear injunction of the scriptures and outwardly expresses a new reality of life in Christ. We believe the method of baptism is immersion at the age of consent, Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, but when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you know, you know where I'm at on grace. I talk about this a lot. We had to have a grace statement in, in our document, right? Grace. We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Salvation is holy of God on the basis of redemption of Jesus Christ, the merit of his shed blood, and not on the basis of human merit or works. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the uncomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Girl, please, right? No. It's a loose translation. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Week after Labor Day, we're starting until Christmas, a new uh, series on the book of Ephesians. I literally cannot wait. Like, I'm already, like, I should be working on these sermons. I'm writing those already, because I, I just, I'm excited for that series, to, to, to walk through Ephesians. We are saved by grace. Through the work of Jesus on the cross, we respond to that grace through baptism, but not just baptism, worship and obedience and so many things. Now, a quick kind of note on baptism. Every church kind of has to decide how they're going to do it. And we have to do that too. Every church has to decide how they're going to handle baptism. So I want to provide a quick explanation. We believe, because of what I said about sin, we believe that baptism should be done at the age of consent. So what I mean by that is there comes a time where we were all born with a sin nature. 
And what that means is that no, none of us had to be taught to sin. I made that joke earlier, that none of us had to be taught to sin, that there came a time where we just understood that sin was sin and it separated us from God and that we needed a savior. And this age is different for every person, but there comes a time, we leave it a lot to parents to decide for minors, that there comes a time where they can understand the gospel, they can understand their sin, they can understand that they need a savior. And to us, that is then the age of response. That is when a person probably should be baptized when they are able to grapple with those big topics like sin and eternity and salvation and all of of that. So this is why if you've ever wondered, if you've ever been around here, it's why we don't baptize babies. Is that we believe a baby is not capable of making those decisions. So if something were to happen to a baby, our theology says that that baby is in heaven because they did not reach an age where they could understand the gospel or understand sin or understand their need for a a savior. That baby was born with a sin nature. Someday that baby would have figured it out, right? And every, every one of us figures it out someday. That baby was born with a sin nature, but that baby was not born sinful. Do you see the difference? And so we immerse at the age of consent and we immerse, I want you to understand this isn't just something we kind of picked out of a hat. We immerse because we think it is a beautiful image of the gospel and what you're giving your life to. So if you've ever seen a baptism here, we kind of have the person up there and we say, all right, repeat after me. I believe, I believe Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, son of the living God. Upon your confession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we immerse them into spiritual death. They're buried. And then if we're good at our job, they resurrect. I've never lost one. I've never lost one, right? But yeah, it's a symbol of what we're giving our life to. That Man, I die to my old self. I die to sin. I'm buried and I resurrect in new life in Christ. And it is a beautiful, beautiful image. And it's why we chose to do it that way. And then the last thing I want to say is that you know this. We want to be a grace people. We want to be an Ephesians 2 people. We want to be a people that like, man, it is by grace I have been saved. Not by human merit, not by human works. It is by grace I have been saved. And so we are changed by it. We are motivated by it. We are inspired by it. It is why we're even doing this kind of bylaw tweak anyway, because we just want to be a people of journey and a people of grace and a people that are welcoming and a people that are in it together, helping one another, praying for one another, motivating one another, inspiring one another. We want to be that kind of church. And sometimes we're afraid of grace. Paul talks about this. Sometimes we're afraid of grace. And we're in particular afraid of what people will say about us if we ooze too much grace. And what we're afraid people are going to say, oh, they're a grace people. They'll accept anything. Well, that's not grace. That's permissiveness. What I hope people will say about us is, man, they are a people of grace. They will love anyone. And love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices in the truth. And so love is patient. Love is kind. Love leans in. Love helps. Love rebukes. Love has tough conversations. We want to be a grace people where they say, man, Northwest Christian Church, it's not that they'll, uh, it's not that they'll accept anything. It's that they'll love everyone. Everyone that walks through those doors, they love and they take in and they work with and they, uh, they lean in and they have tough conversations and they serve. We will love anyone. 
We will love everyone. That's who we want to be as a church. Are you into it? That's who we want to be as a church. Lukewarm response. It's okay. Um, That's who we want to be as a church, a church that leans into grace and leans into love. And Paul knew better than anyone, it is super messy and difficult and challenging. And Cheryl will tell you, there are times I'm not totally sure we're getting it right, but it is what we strive to be. A people of grace, not a people of permissiveness. Don't confuse those. Now Paul said, shall we continue to sin that grace, may, uh, that grace may abound? And Paul said, by no means. Are you insane? Loose translation. You insane? No. No, you don't continue to sin that grace may abound. That's not grace. That's permissiveness. But grace does love. Loves well. Leans in. Serves well. And so we're going to continue the discussion today. We're going to be in the overflow right after church. And I'd love to meet with you over there if you will give me about 10 minutes and we'll kind of say goodbye as people are leaving if if they're not staying and kind of do our thing and then we'll be in here in about 10 minutes and we can kind of continue our conversation about what it means to believe and belong at Northwest Christian Church. Let me pray for us before we receive communion, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And my prayer right now is that we would be changed by your grace motivated by it, inspired by it, and that we would be your grace people here in Decatur. That it is what we would be known for. A church that loves so well that maybe the outside world looks at it and they're like, it's not exactly the culture's way of loving, but I cannot deny they love one another. And I bet they'd love me too if I came. Would you help us to do this well? Give us lots of wisdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. We're gonna receive communion. Uh, Part of our grace statement and our salvation statement is a methodology that we remember this and celebrate this every single Sunday. Um, I have as a personal goal, those of you that have been under my preaching for a long time, hopefully you know this is true, every single Sunday at some point in my message, I declare the gospel. And sometimes it's just like three or four lines, but every single Sunday, I do not let a Sunday go by, I try not to anyway, I do not hardly let a Sunday go by where I am not declaring the gospel to you because we wanna be changed by it, we wanna embrace it. But that's also, if I ever miss a Sunday, that's also what this time's for. It gives us an opportunity on every single Sunday to say, hey, we're going to receive communion right now as a church family, and this is an opportunity for you to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and say, Jesus, as I go out with my family, as I go out into my work, may I be a grace person the way you've called me to be. May I be inspired by this and motivated by this and changed by this. And so we're going to receive communion right now, and as the cups are passed, you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other, One has some juice representing his blood. One has some bread representing his body. And you can just thank him for his grace right now. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. May we be a people of grace. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. 
as we get ready to close out our service, if you have a prayer request or prayer need or you're interested in learning more about Northwest, a couple of our elders will be in the overflow before that congregational meeting. Um, and uh, if you're planning to, to stay for that, we would love to have you uh, engage in a little bit of conversation. We, it will be one hour. Um, and because I, I think we'll probably end up having a couple more meetings. The vote on this will be the third Sunday in November, which is why you introduce an idea like this in August, um, so that you have time for conversation, uh, time, you know, we, uh, the leaders kind of talked about it for, you know, uh, between a year and two years. And so we don't, we didn't want to drop it like late October and say, all right, decide right now. No, we didn't, we didn't want to do that. And so there'll be more meetings, I suspect, uh, as the fall unfolds, but we want to keep this meeting just because, uh, I know how church people get about lunch. So uh, we're, we're gonna keep it to around an hour. So uh, people, uh, people can uh, still get to lunch, but we would love to have you stay. Um, if not, have a great week ahead. Let's stand and close with one last song of worship. Oh.